Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. This is your host, Dan Turchin, advisor at Insight Finder, the system of intelligence for IT operations, and CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. Thanks again to all of our loyal listeners for helping us turn a passion project for a small group into one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you like what we do, please like, comment, and share in your favorite podcast app. All your feedback really helps. Much appreciated. We've had some amazing academics turned entrepreneurs on the podcast, including recently John Whaley from Unify ID. We've learned about the challenges of leaving academia to pursue an entrepreneurial career. I'm always fascinated to hear how the stereotypically slow bureaucratic world of academia can coexist with the high-risk, pressure-cooker environment of a startup. We've also learned how academia can be fertile ground for incubating ideas and attracting talent. Well, Today, we get a chance to learn how one academic is building a transcendent brand and a really unique AI-first technology in the highly technical, highly crowded insurtech space. Dr. Zerak Chatatepe, founder and CEO of Tazi AI, started the company in 2015 and recently graduated from the prestigious Alchemist Accelerator. She is also a professor at the Istanbul Technical University, having received her PhD in computer science from Caltech. Dr. Chatatepe has spent 30 years in and around machine learning, both in industry and academia. She's the owner of 18 patents. She's published more than 100 academic papers and is a three-time Women Entrepreneur of the Year Award winner, as if any more accolades were necessary. <laughs> Without further ado, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you start by sharing a little bit about your background and uh, how you got into this space? Dan, uh, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, my background, uh, I'm a computer scientist, academician turned into uh, entrepreneur, but uh, I always had my, you know, some part of my time in industry all the time, because after getting my PhD, uh, I was a postdoc, worked in a, at a startup, CMAS corporate research, and then I turned into an academician. Uh, so, uh, so I consulted in uh, many different uh, verticals, uh, use cases, and how, how I got into AI, I was always in AI, uh, starting with my bachelor's degree. Uh, but how I got into entrepreneurship is uh, because uh, I and my co-founder, uh, Tanju, uh, we realized that uh, people are trying to do AI, but they got it all wrong. So that uh, pushed us into uh, starting Tazi. Uh, and at first, I didn't want to actually uh, be an entrepreneur. I was very happy inventing and you know, great PhD students and research projects. Uh, but then uh, Tanju uh, just persuaded me that uh, we just had to do this. This was more than writing 100 papers, uh, uh, helping people actually use AI easily. Uh, you know, bringing agile AI for business users has been our goal, uh, and we have succeeded in a lot of places. My end goal is to have my mom 
uh, to use AI uh, for herself. And my mom is, uh, you know, more than 70 years old, just a primary school graduate, uh, and uh, she's actually a farmer. Uh, so, uh, so that's a, that's a huge end goal. Uh, right now, uh, we are working with different uh, professionals in different industries. Insurance is uh, our uh, initial market in the U.S., but uh, we are also working with uh, finance, retail, e-commerce, manufacturing industries uh, for different use cases. Uh, so we have a platform that can make AI usable uh, by everyone, even if they are not coders or data scientists. So that's how I got into uh, this space. I love the vision. It makes sense. I hope that one day your mom is using AI from Tazi. But I want to unpack what you said. That you started the company because everyone got AI all wrong. Yes. So what is it that needs to happen to make AI more accessible to non-coders? So, so even now, we see that AI is seen in two different ways. One of them is AI models are trained by someone uh, who is very technical. And then those AI models are served to the users. Uh, so, so the models do not change after they are served. Changing the model is a, a difficult task uh, that needs to be handled by the professionals. And that works if we are just discriminating cats from dogs, but uh, if we are uh, helping uh, with difficult or challenging business conditions, uh, sensor data, uh, customer behavior, all of these change over time. So the update of the model uh, and monitoring of the model uh, becomes a daunting task. And asking the data scientists First of all, to serve the right model, even from the beginning, uh, to the actual users without really understanding what is business, and then expecting the business to accept a rigid model that will not change according to their business processes and, and the market uh, is just not acceptable. So, so, so that's what's wrong. So, so thinking that AI models can be trained and then deployed and they do not need to change often is totally wrong. AI models need to be, first of all, monitorable by everyone who uses them, who needs them. They need to be understandable and, and understandable without being a data scientist because when you say understandable AI, you should look at the presentations. I mean, you have to have a PhD to understand what they mean by understandable AI. Uh, and finally, the models need to be updatable by, uh, by business people who are responsible, who have a certain responsibility. Uh, and, and we should not need them to learn how to code in Python or how to uh, really understand the AI models workings. So, so this is like uh, asking people, telling people, you can drive a car, but you have to be a mechanical engineer to drive a car. Otherwise, uh, I'm not allowing you to drive. Why? Because this car might break down at any minute. So, so there is this robustness of AI systems, ability to cope with change, 
uh, that is not in the existing systems. Uh, so, so that's what it is wrong. I don't know if I jumped around too many different topics, but it's really uh, being able to continuously update it, being continuously monitorable by everyone involved and being updatable uh, by the relevant people, our key components. If we had these, none of the uh, black mirror stories would happen actually. If you, uh, and, I, and one of my dreams is to, to rewrite those stories with this kind of AI. That's equally as ambitious as teaching your, uh, your mother who's a farmer. To, uh, to no, use for, AI. For, for, yeah, yeah, for Black Mirror, I need definitely help. For my mom, yes. Now, you're talking to a, a technical audience, and I've got to drill down a little bit further. When we talk about automating model management by non developers or you know, non AI practitioners, there's a lot of complexity there. There's algorithm selection, and there's hyperparameter tuning, and there's feature selection and drift detection. I, I'll admit that even being in the space, I, it feels like a very hard technical problem to devolve all of all of the control over managing the life cycle of an AI model down to you know call it a finger quote citizen developer. Is is that something that Tazi is attempting to do? I'm not saying all. Uh, I'm saying the data scientist may need to be involved but others need to be involved more and they need to be involved even more than the data scientist. So, so the, the topics that you are talking about, they are all valid, but right now uh, we are coping with them uh, by writing code, writing Python scripts uh, or, or using very specialized software. Uh, so that's not the way to go. Uh, we should really address each of those problems in terms of the business processes. Uh, what does really drift mean uh, for, uh, for a retail company uh, trying to sell a certain product, for example? Uh, so, so, so we need reformulation uh, and uh, reformulation of the, of the problems and how we solve them as well. In this show, we talk a lot about the ethics of AI and specifically the quality and the nature of the data that's being used to train these models. Let's say we do have non-developers involved in the model management process. Does it make the problem of eliminating bias in training data harder or easier? Your models and your data uh, is only as ethical as the people who use them. So the tools, our tool, for example, uh, gives you access so that you can detect if your data is biased and you can detect if your models are biased. And uh, I just want to open a parenthesis there. Being biased uh, is uh, addressable only if you are specific enough. Uh, for example, saying that uh, people who have lower income uh, have less credit risk score is a general problem known by everybody. But when you are able to define it in a more specific way, uh, then uh, you can actually come up with solutions as well. And, and, and those biases can be unearthed uh, by really 
going into micro segmentations, uh, going to smaller granularity uh, so that you are able to detect where bias is exactly. You may not be able to find the cause of it, but you may be able to figure out where bias is happening more uh, than the other places. Uh, and I don't think we are going to change uh, all the inequalities that we are in right now uh, by providing uh, understandable AI, but we are going to be able to uh, show people exactly why, exactly how it is happening. And then we will be able to uh, take actions to prevent bias. Uh, so, uh, so the bias problem is there, but it's not just about bias. You know, theoretically speaking, we could actually change the world uh, if we understood how biases are happening. Uh, so, for example, uh, we might identify some core different differences between uh, people who are uh, at risk and who are not at risk in terms of. Uh, auto insurance claims, for example, uh, then that single difference might point out to some policies uh, that will make the life easier for the people with more risk, uh, and and they can they may be able to change their lives, uh, and at least they will realize what their risks are. So so uh, you know I don't think the uh, you know. Explainable AI, understandable AI, and unearthing those biases uh, is the solution, but it's a very important step towards the solution. Because if we understand the problems better, and if everybody understands them, not the data scientists, but uh, the people who are working with those models and people who can take actions, uh, then we are going to really jump a long way. Uh, towards uh, a better society, I think. Practicing responsible AI, to me, starts with answering one important question. And I'd be curious to get your perspective on this based on Tazi and your first uh, vertical insurance. What could go wrong? A number of things. AI models, for example, could be overfitting your data. So, so that's a huge problem. Overfitting means you work with a model on a, a training set and you, you are confident that your model is just great. Uh, and then when you deploy it in a real life scenario, uh, you realize that your model actually is not performing so well. So, so overfitting, I think, is a more of a problem than everybody realizes. And, and they, they understand that deployment, that's why so many models are not deployed. Another problem is uh, changes in data. Uh, people think that data processes have been cleaned up, you know, uh, they have uh, things that control how the data is being pushed from one place to another. However, those mechanisms can go wrong at any time. So it is important to have robust AI systems that can still continue operating even when some of the data is not available or, or it is actually available but wrong. So, so having continuous checks and remedies on the input uh, streams is also important. Overfitting uh, and in general having robust models 
uh, that work uh, and uh, under different circumstances uh, is very important. And finally, uh, it's important to tie up the uh, outputs of AI models. What happens when AI says something? That's completely overlooked. And uh, I understand it more and more uh, as we deploy solutions and uh, the results are observed by people uh, and, and actions are taken. Uh, so, for example, for, uh, uh, for insurance customer retention, for example, or in general customer retention, you are trying to not lose your customers and then you might just uh, offer some uh, incentive to keep your customers. And then you might realize that Yes, yes, you are keeping your customer, but your premiums are all wrong. Uh, that customer comes to you because you have uh, much lower premiums than your competitors, but you have priced the risk wrong. Uh, so, so then you realize, hey, I need to actually uh, estimate the risk much more accurately than uh, I am doing right now. So that's another AI model. It is important to, first of all, understand what your actions result in when you take actions with AI. Uh, and it's also important uh, to be able to make those actions better. Uh, you know, you shouldn't say, oh, I have taken, I have reduced my customer churn. However, uh, all I'm getting are very risky customers who, which I'm not able to price right. So AI is not working for me. Uh, that, instead of that, thinking of a long-term strategy, uh, where your people in your company are able to not just understand the AI model that exists, but also create new ones as uh, new needs happen, I think is a key issue. Uh, so, so we are looking at lots and lots of upskilling people uh, that can create a basic model uh, when they need it. And then once they see that that model is working all right, they might ask the data scientists to make it better. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you have uh, a huge need, you should be able to uh, resolve that need as soon as possible without waiting for consultants, without waiting your, for your uh, data science teams, you know, giving you some time, three, three months or six months down the road. Uh, you need to get things done now and then. Uh, so, so, uh, so in general, upskilling is really the solution for what can go wrong. Because uh, so many things can go wrong, we don't know yet what can go wrong because we haven't yet installed so many systems uh, in so many different places. And when they are installed, it's important that there are responsible and able people who look at them and say, this is wrong. Uh, and, and this is the strategy to resolve that wrong. And, and finally, I think it's very important to have backups of things, you know, backups of models, backups of decisions, and, and having the ability of easy deployment. If this goes wrong, if my current model is wrong, I should just be able to deploy a previously working model immediately. Because uh, when we put the AI models in working systems, if suddenly people's uh, uh, you know, requests for uh, a treatment are not being approved by the insurance company, if suddenly you know, 
you know, things are in crucial systems are not working because AI is not working is unacceptable. So, so you have to always have backup systems, and and those backup systems can be uh, the other AI systems that worked previously, rule-based systems, and humans. Uh, so, so you have to make sure that all of them are in place. So, so what may go wrong? Everything. Something will go wrong. Uh, but when that thing goes wrong, you should have the ability uh, to make it right and, and, and go into a different level than where you have been before. You know that responsible AI is one of the core principles for Tazi. What is it that you as a CEO and a technology leader do to uh, reiterate or enforce the, that cultural value within the company and maybe start by telling us what's your definition of responsible AI? Thank you. Responsible for me has uh, two components. No, actually three components. Uh, one of them is being continuously updated. Uh, people overcome that. Uh, if you are rigid as an AI system, you cannot be responsible because while the world changes, uh, if you aren't able to change, then you are not going to be performing well. So, so being continuously updatable is part of being responsible. The second part is, and everybody thinks about that, being understandable uh, by uh, being democratized, being understandable and usable by a lot of people as opposed to a minority of people, I think is part of being responsible. And that brings the uh, ethical parts, that brings being human, humane part, because as I said, AI is only as responsible as the people who use it. Another part is the environment. Uh, this is something that people are overlooking right now. Uh, I keep hearing companies whose electricity costs, uh, costs 10% or cloud costs 10% uh, are because of uh, training of AI systems. Right now, people think, uh, you know, I'm using electricity and we think that electricity is clean energy, which is not. I mean, uh, something is being used to create that energy. Uh, so, uh, so, so we think that uh, I have my TPUs, GPUs, I have all the computational power. So I'm just going to train the most complex AI systems. You should go back and think, first of all, do, do you need that complexity or not? Because you know, I talked about overfitting. Sometimes we just try to optimize for the data at hand and we just overfitted our data, wasted lots of resources. So, so I think a very important part of being responsible is being resource efficient. Uh, and uh, we have a white paper. We have shown that with continuous learning, you can be just using 100 of the resources and still come up with a very similar accuracy. Uh, and in making AI responsible, in making models simpler, uh, I find human input uh, to those models to be very crucial because the domain expert is able to just take, you know, with one look, they are able to say, oh, you are using this and it's actually useless. This should not be in the model. That makes the model less complex. Uh, they can look at the explanations and say, this is too overfitting, too complex model. I don't need that complexity. So, so, so putting uh, continuous learning technology and uh, ability of human to 
uh, have a role in what the model should be like, uh, makes AI responsible environmentally also. And we really need to keep thinking about this before we go through the same thing we went with cars. Uh, so, so lots of people will be using AI. And when they use AI, we need to make sure that it is responsible. There is just a Turkish saying, I love that. Uh, it is my mom said it, maybe it is a Turkish saying or not. She keeps saying, even the snake eats the earth one bite at a time. So, so the snake doesn't say, oh, I'm in, the, I'm in this huge earth, I'll just keep eating. Uh, so, so, you know, we should really think about, uh, do I need to uh, have such a, a huge footprint with my AI? Or could I just have it simpler? And, and, and being simpler, by the way, has a lot of consequences in terms of being understandability and actionability as well. I've asked that question a lot of times, and I've never heard the complexity of the AI model considered in terms of the environmental footprint of the model. It's, it's a nice way to think about uh, the, the need to reduce the complexity. Um, and also, as, as we were talking about making it manageable by mere mortals, <laughs> it also yes. is important to not overcomplicate yes. it. Mere mortals without TPUs. Uh, right. So, so right. when you are able to do that, you open so many doors. Uh, we, initially, we were able to uh, uh, use a Raspberry Pi. Uh, you know, Tanji is just a fan of uh, Linux and uh, uh, you know all those you know open source operating systems and uh, and you know just for fun uh, you know he was like yes this works on a Raspberry Pi. Wow, so it's definitely no TPU needed. <laughs> yes, yeah. So so again, it's all about what do you really need, uh, and uh, what are you going to do with that AI. Uh, there, there is one last thing, I, I forgot to mention this. This came up during a conversation with an insurance professional. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, with the telematics devices, uh, now we are able to say, oh, you know, you are breaking hearts, so maybe you are a risky person. Uh, and then he said, hey, maybe I need to break heart because to avoid an accident, I need to break heart. So if at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my insurance company will increase my premiums because if I break heart, I'll be deemed a riskier person. Then you actually increase the risk of a person because, because you told that person, if you break heart, you're a risky person. So, so these are, uh, these, this is just a, a one, a one example. I mean, there are so many examples that we need to think about one when we take actions with uh, with the machine learning models uh, not just how we take those actions but how we communicate those actions to the users uh, so that we are not going to be affecting uh, daily lives in a negative way uh, is another part of being responsible i think so so this is about uh, installing systems and then keeping keep monitoring them uh, to find out how we changed uh, the daily lives, lives of our users. So that's a good example of where data could be used to make automated decisions that might help calculate the risk score, which would go into calculating the premium in the insurance space. What are some examples of decisions that might be made to determine my premium as a consumer that you think should not be trusted to AI? 
that's a that's a difficult question. So uh, first of all, determining premiums is uh, a very difficult and, and a very regulated task. First of all, I think everybody should know that. Uh, so so insurance companies determine the risk, uh, the frequency and severity of risk uh, for uh, segments of customers, and then. Uh, and then they had to show to the authorities uh, that uh, the risk uh, is this much, the costs are this much for this segment. So that's why I'm pricing this segment in this way. So, so I'm not making tons of money from these people. This, this is the risk. And I have my costs as an insurance company. Uh, that's how I should be pricing this. So, so, so th th this was something that I didn't know before I entered the insurance company industry. So, so I I just want to let you know that, uh, and uh, and those uh, that pricing doesn't change uh, very often because it's difficult to change pricing uh, because there is whole months of uh, documenting models and then uh, passing them by the authorities and then implementing them. Uh, so what should not be used uh, in uh, to determine your risk? Uh, an example is your credit risk score. So credit risk score determines your uh, accident risk. Uh, and uh, authorities in certain states now banning the use of uh, credit risk score in pricing, in rate making. Uh, and uh, you know, while uh, this looks like a great um, uh, move you know, to make the models uh, uh, more responsible, right? Uh, so, so lower income people uh, will not be punished uh, for uh, not making out of income because because the credit risk score is not good somehow. Maybe uh, on the other hand, uh, there is a deeper problem. Just uh, banning the use of that credit risk score does not mean that your models are not deciding based on credit risk score. Uh, there might be correlated other variables. Uh, that determine the credit risk score. You are not using, using credit risk score, but you are still using credit risk score in essence. So, so, so for that, our solution is we decided to let anyone bring their model, uh, and we can create explanations for those models. We can tell you how the model is deciding, and and you might say, I don't have credit risk score in my model, but then we can show you that. Uh, the credit risk score of this person is still a determining factor in how your model decides. You are not using credit risk score, but you are using some other variable that determines credit risk score. Uh, and uh, I, I just, again, you know, I, I just learned so much from these customers' conversations. Somebody had a great idea. You know, she said, why do we worry about those variables correlated with credit risk score? Maybe there are other variables out there. Uh, that are not related to this, but still affect my risk. And uh, it, it's not going to be about uh, discriminating people or being biased. It will be just uh, a determination of my risk. And, and maybe it will be even helpful for me as a person. Uh, so, uh, so, so, I mean, telematics is a good move in that direction. Like how you use the car at certain times uh, tell a lot about uh, the risk of an accident, uh, but it is still work in progress. I mean, uh, because there are lots of uh, 
obstacles that need to be handled, both in terms of the uh, long-term uh, long-term benefits of uh, users uh, and also the insurance companies. Uh, so it's still not a story that has uh, settled down. But but do you have any? You know, Dan, do you have any? Uh, anything that comes to your mind because uh, you know this, th- that's a very interesting question i like the idea that there are unrelated variables that have a high correlation with risk and i would be as a as a data scientist i'd be interested to look at data related to a variety of things before drawing conclusions for example perhaps there's a correlation with your military history or with the number of kids you have or with the weather in your in in your locale or perhaps the 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 gas mileage of your car <laughs> i i could speculate right you could you could build a narrative around any one of those and and you know again from the perspective of the data science i would love to go through an exercise to understand if any of those or or, or other variables would be better predictors than maybe what we're using yes you know, privacy concerns immediately kick in there. So, so one uh, idea we have is uh, instead of sharing your data, what if you were able to share your models? Like think of them as uh, as your your APIs to the world, right? So, uh, so people uh, can't have access to my exact driving pattern. But I have my local model, you know, that, that Raspberry Pi story then comes even more relevant. Uh, I have my own model. It's my model, okay? Nobody knows about my model, not my insurance company, uh, you know, not government, not school, nobody. I just, I just, I know about my model. I know what goes into my model. I know how is my model trained. And my model serves me as a person, as opposed to other entities. Uh, and and I can control who questions my model, and I can control the answers of my model. But my model is being trained uh, in the appropriate way. Appropriate way. So there are, you know, again, this is very futuristic. Okay, so so this is like just like science fiction. But but I don't think we are so far away from it. Especially, you know, as as these mod as these AI predictions or, or you know. Uh, determining uh, our state uh, or predictions of our state uh, and uh, announcing it to other parties around us uh, become more and more relevant. Uh, We want to be able to control those models as opposed to other third parties. But this is, again, this is very, very, really, really really like science fiction. But it is, is it, is it doable? Yes, it is doable. Uh, So, uh, but but we want to make sure that uh, you know this is as easy as using a car. You know, just right now cars are uh, vehicles that live with us uh, and they are all the time with us, uh, and uh, and we you know we we use them, but we don't control how they are built for us. Uh, I'm talking about having a control over over the predictive models for you, uh, and and not giving your data out, but giving those models outputs out so that people don't have access to everything about you. Because sometimes uh, things are so correlated, uh, people can predict things about you that you don't want to be predicted. 
so in that science fiction world where I, I, I like the way you phrase that, we, we bring our models, but not our data, and they're comprehensive. Talk me through the, the bringing it back below the, the level of science fiction in a world where Tazi is wildly successful and this vision of yours that you just articulated uh, comes to fruition. Um, what, uh, what will you look back on as your most, as, as your proudest accomplishment at Tazi if the world looks like that? I think the proudest accomplishment is enabling people. Right now, I don't know exactly where this AI will be used. I have no idea because people are so clever. Just, you know, a person who is not a data scientist understanding how an AI model can work better is a huge accomplishment. And we are seeing it every day now. Uh, you know, non-data scientists bring in data, bring, they bring in feature and they bring in their expertise. Uh, when they see interactivity and acceptance from the AI models, when they realize that it's not the data scientist's model, but their model, they have control over it, they can make it better. When they see that, suddenly AI models become servers, like servants of people, apprentices of people, uh, not uh, teams govern or control people. So, uh, so, so that uh, commoditization, commoditization, commodi uh, what is the word? Commoditization. That's the word I have a difficulty. Easy for you to say. Commoditization. Commoditization <laughs> of AI. That's more difficult than Chataltepe. So, so commoditization of AI is, uh, I think, one of the most key components. Uh, when we look back, uh, I want to be uh, me and my co-founder and all people at Tazi. Uh, I want to be remembered as, uh, as a person who made AI accessible, finally. We thought it was so difficult, but it is not. So, so we can actually use these things after all. Uh, and, uh, and they are not really uh, as harmful as we thought. Uh, so, so that, I think, is going to be like one of the breakthroughs uh, that we are going to be proud of. Uh, I'm really excited about that uh, footprint. Whether we look the other way or not, you know, environmental problems are here and they are for everybody. Uh, whether you are in Texas or in Oregon or in uh, Turkey, I'm, I'm just so sad about, sad about the fires happening there right now. And, and you know, remember last year and year before that, California fires. It was just very difficult. And, and unfortunately, we are going to see more and more of that. So, so we have to really take care of the environment. Uh, and, and we have to uh, just not see it as a resource that we can consume at any way and any rate we want. So, so, so the footprint, reducing the footprint also, I think, uh, will be a major uh, contribution uh, that we are going to be making. It's a wonderful vision. And... I, as well as I hope all of humanity, are rooting for, uh, for Tazi to be wildly successful. Now, we, uh, it feels like we're just getting started. We went way over time and way off script, but I, I hope that you'd be willing to come back and have another version of this conversation because there's so much more that we, uh, we have to discuss still. Yes, I mean, I think I got into too much the environmental stuff, but uh, just, you know, uh, just to maybe wrap up uh, then, 
uh, we we are right now uh, being actively used by uh, insurance companies uh, to understand their customers better and increase their retention rates uh, and uh, you know understanding your customer is at the end really uh, becomes uh, a great tool in serving your customers so uh, so so i'm very happy uh, to be starting with insurance uh, and uh, and uh, allowing uh, helping insurance companies to ask questions and answer them in ways that they have never done before uh, and also i'm very excited uh, to be helping uh, you know manufacturers uh, you know retail companies e-commerce companies uh, again uh, using less uh, and being more efficient uh, so that uh, so that they can survive in a competitive world. Uh, so so this is where we are right now, and and where I want to go at the end is that world. Uh, so so but it's one step at a time. Beautiful. I'm inspired. I would encourage everyone listening go to tazi t a z i dot a i, and you can learn more about the amazing work that Zera and her team are doing. Again. Zera, thank you so much for being here. This is very enjoyable, and I look forward to continuing the discussion another time. Thank you so much, Dan. This was a great brainstorming. Thank you. Well, this is Dan Turchin, your host of AI and the Future of Work, signing off for this week, but uh, back next week with another fascinating guest. <laughs>